Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hola amigos, hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And if you're a new listener to the show, special warm welcome to you. I really appreciate you tuning into the show. And if you're a returning listener, welcome back. I appreciate it even more. In today's episode, we will speak to my friend Johnny from the YouTube channel Millennials with Money. Johnny is a British slash pan-European millennial currently living in Spain. He's a financial professional by day and as a side activity, he is helping millennials with their money management through his educational online content. We will cover several interesting topics today. Reaching financial independence in Europe as a millennial, how that path differs from the classic American way, by a Vanguard ETF and chill. And we will also next to that discuss some of the difficulties we have over here, but as well some of the great advantages. And to close it off, Johnny will tell us his secret to delay gratification in our society of overconsumption. This episode is for you if you want to know more about reaching financial independence in Europe, regardless if you're a millennial or not. So without further ado, let's hear the interview. Hello, Johnny. How are you doing today? Hey, other Johnny. I'm good, man. Great to be on your podcast. Thanks for Yes, me. fantastic. Johnny and Johnny on the podcast. But uh, tell me, um, is Johnny actually your, your real name or is it uh, a shortening of some other name? Yeah, so Jonathan is my official birth name. But um, ever since I've been young, you know, my friends have called me Johnny. So stuck with me throughout my life. And, you know, I, I let people call me Johnny. It's, it's yeah, that's how I, how I roll. <laughs> Funny. It's a Johnny and Johnny or Jonathan and Jonathan by their real names. So anyway, welcome. And uh, yeah, great to, great Thank to meet you. you. I know we've been chatting a bit uh, on uh, social media and stuff. So yeah, great to see you. Great to have you on because you're the man behind uh, Millennials with Money, the YouTube channel. That's right, yeah. So uh, what is that about? What is this channel about? Can you guide us through it? Millennials with money. Uh, it's funny, my friend, when I told him the name the first time, he said, this is a utopia. It's not a, it's not a real thing. It's, it's a, but it's a, it's a vision that I want to create and what I want to share with you know, young people of our generation that it is possible for millennials to be financially literate and mm -hmm. um, be in a good financial situation. So that all came about as an idea. I originally started as a blog, then went into a, an Instagram page. And then as time went on, um, I've taken it onto YouTube and I do videos about personal finance, investing, financial independence. And the goal is all about really um, teaching young people of our generation, you know, how to invest, how to save money, how to budget so that we can deal with some of the problems that are faced by our generation today, such as, you know, taking on a lot of debt, Uh, living paycheck to paycheck. Um, it's something that I've really wanted to do and something I've really wanted to, um, yeah, something I really want to help and help other millennials to, to get their money right, so to speak. Okay, yes, very good. I, I like that mission. It's a bit similar to mine. And, and you cover as well quite a wide area of topics. Eh? I mean, I, I watched a few of your videos, so I just watched one about uh, managing your time versus... Um, I mean, if you should outsource a task or do it yourself to save the money, or is that yeah. if you run a business, maybe time is more important. So this is a, one topic you go as well through uh, uh, stocks, for example, Unilever, so and many other topics. Uh, but today, I think we want to focus on financial independence. So Johnny, what is financial independence to you? 
For me, financial independence, I'd stick with the broadly accepted um, definition of it, that mm-hmm. it's the ability to not depend on, you know, a nine to five job or have to depend on somebody or something for your income. You have your, your self-sufficient, so to speak, your own, your finances, your assets, they generate your income and yeah, you're self-sufficient. That's the key word for me when I think financial independence. Okay. And does that mean, I know you made a video on that, that you will be able to retire early as well, or uh, what is your yeah, plan here? <laughs> Yeah, so for me, the retire early part, I think it catches a lot of people out. A lot of people think, oh, yeah, so financial independence, retire early, the fire movement, they think, yeah, okay, 35 and 40, I'm going to be sitting on the beach every day, you know, in the south of Spain with a beer, chilling for the rest (laughs) of my life. But um, I think the what it really means when you say retire early is the ability to be able to step away from you know, a nine to five, a corporate job, um, a full-time job. It's essentially, it gives you that liberty to, if you want to keep working, you can. Um, but of course, at this point, you'd be self-sufficient and you can essentially do what you want. Me personally, I think, I mean, we'll see how time goes. You know, early in my fire journey, I'm still quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll probably either keep working or I'll do something at least definitely to make sure that, you know, I'm doing something productive with my life that I'm able to give back to others and help people. That's, that's really my goal. Once I help, um, once I meet financial independence. Yes. And you're already in Spain. So at least uh, you got one part covered. I mean, the, the beers on the playa, <laughs> I mean, okay, now it's COVID, but at least uh, <laughs> you're already closer <laughs> to that part. Yeah, man. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. T- tell us a, a little about a little bit about that because you you are obviously an English speaker, native speaker, uh, but you live in Spain. So so what's your journey a little bit there? Sure. So I was born and grew up in the UK. I grew up in Newcastle, which is a city in the northeast. I uh, did a lot of my school, a lot of my study there as well. While I was studying, I had the privilege to take part in the Erasmus program. And I originally went to France for some of my studies. I really loved the experience. I really enjoyed it. And it completely opened me up to uh, working and living abroad. And yeah, from that one experience, I actually went back, had several internships and then a full-time job in France. Um and it opened me up to Spain as well, just, you know, the exposure of living internationally. I, I've visited lots of other countries. And Spain really stood out to me because I'd been there on holiday as, mm-hmm. as a child with family. But I was really interested in living there. And, um, you know, being a UK passport holder and, and Brexit, um, the Brexit clock ticking down at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very much, a, it was a now or never situation. I thought if I'm going to, uh, make use of my freedom of movement one more time, then then this is it. So I was able to get a, a job in Spain, very fortunately. Um, and I arrived here at the start of 2020. So I had a month or two oh, to yeah. enjoy it just before we got, <laughs> Perfect uh, timing. Before we got locked yeah. down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very so, cool. Yeah. So, so you lived in a bunch of uh, European countries and um, you're looking at fr- financial independence. So how do you see that? I mean, how do you... How can someone, for example, in Spain, work on their financial independence? Because I have received a number of guests, I mean, from Europe and from US, and there's ways to do that, whether through the stock exchange, you can uh, invest in real estate, you can save money, etc., or ETFs, that's a common one as well. So how does one do that in Spain? Is it any different? 
Yeah, so I guess this is something we'll come round to in our in our main discussion. But um, something I've noticed in Europe, particularly, is the culture here is very different compared to in the likes of the UK, the US. You don't have necessarily the same visibility of of the fire community, of the financial independence movement. You don't necessarily have the same uh, investing mm-hmm. opportunities. Um, it's not as visible. And if you think UK and US, you've also got a lot of tax advantages. So in the UK, you have your ISA accounts, which let you pay in £20,000 a year and the gains from dividends or capital gains are tax-free. In the US, you've got the likes of a Roth IRA or a 401k. But in Europe, uh, by the European countries, I don't think there's the same range um, of tax incentives that the average person in the UK or the US gets access to. So though the universal principles still apply, maybe the journey will be a bit slower um, or a bit trickier mm-hmm. because they don't have the same, I don't want to call them shortcuts, but they don't have the same springboards or advantages that someone in the US or the UK has, for example, if you see what I'm saying. Yes, uh, it's true. And um, every country has its specific tax system. We love that. Uh, every country is different in Europe. So language, food, <laughs> everything, but taxes as mm-hmm. well, unfortunately. So and then as well, one thing I'm missing myself is, um, and that's why uh, there's people like you and I and uh, our friend Sandy. Hello, Sandy, by the way. So, hey, Sandy. Yeah, that, that's a talk about financial independence or financial resources uh, to our audiences in Europe because it's important to have mm-hmm. at least a few persons per country because if you look at the US, our friends, okay, it's, it's uh, not, I will not say it's easier, but... They have access to a lot of resources. There are so many influencers. There are so many bloggers and podcasters, etc. But it's one country, so it's one system. While in Europe, okay, I can follow a French guy. It's easy for the language. Or I can even uh, look at a Spanish guy or Belgian guy, a Norwegian guy. It's good. But then when it comes to some specifics, yeah, I will miss the um, the, the yeah the tax advantage, etc. I mean, and now I live in Luxembourg, so I'm trying to by the way, uh, write an article myself with a, a local uh, person just to, to get to the specifics that's helping us. And uh, yeah, and, and especially if you move in Europe around, then it's, it's, it's an even bigger mess. But OK, let's uh, not go into that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's something that I try to, like you say, in the US and even the, the UK, because I find myself a bit between communities. So sure. I, I consider myself part of the UK community as much as I'm part of the, the European um, financial independence community and yeah in the UK you put in a search for financial independence you've got the likes of Mama Furfa you've got uh, Panda Boss Anna will come up and they're covering great stuff very specific to the UK and for someone living in the UK that's great as I say um, based on kind of my experience of living abroad and, and living in Europe I feel like that's something different I can offer because I have a bit of a broader visibility and mm-hmm. I can talk a bit about um finances as someone who's moved countries as someone who who can yeah who can even talk to to expats or or you know people who've moved to that country to help them get their finances in order it's it's kind of a niche that i try to go for is to be a bit more pan-european with my content yeah you're just like me in the younger version huh? i mean like uh, <laughs> i lived in norway lived in luxembourg I, my name is jonathan it's uh, it's the same it's like mini me but uh, <laughs> okay that's a, a joke apart um, today, what steps, for example, concretely are you taking 
as a millennial in Spain today? What are you? How are you working towards that sure. financial independence? So I'm very intentional with um, my investing and saving, for example. So a lot of my income I invest it, whether that's mm -hmm. in the stock market or in ETFs, index funds, and even a bit in uh, yeah other kind of mutual funds. Yeah, but shorter term mutual funds or robo yeah. investors. Because my goal is to kind of have an, I not just want to invest in the stock market, I want to have a, a diversified range of, uh, of assets. So I'm hoping to try and get a property um, mm -hmm. at some point, but it's going to take some time just because of the way um, property investing is in Spain. Um, you need a bit more deposit than you would in some other countries. But yeah, essentially, um, I make sure that I have a budget that I stick to very, very strictly so that I'm able to contribute the allocations, the amounts that I want to invest and, and contribute towards my financial future every month. And then, as you may have seen in that financial independence video that I did, um, I have goals. I set out goals, a timeline for achieving financial independence because prior to that, I was taking the steps, but I didn't really know when I was going to achieve it. And when you've got a time goal, when you've got a time-based goal, when you've got a timeline on it, it really helps you focus in more and it gives your goal a lot more meaning and it makes, it holds you a bit more personally accountable to it, I feel. Okay, Johnny, so that, that's quite interesting. And, uh, but then it, it looks a bit similar to what I see from different countries, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. But if you think, going back to the, the previous example from the UK, You know, people would say, oh, maybe I'll invest so much in, in a trading two on two pie or I put so much in my ISA account. Mm -hmm. So in the UK, you can put up to 20,000 pounds and then maybe if someone hits their 20,000 pound annual contribution limit, then they'll put the rest in another investment account. In my case, uh, you know, because I don't have access to that as not a UK resident anymore, mm -hmm. it's very much just putting money. I'm now moving my allocation more over to ETFs and index funds. But yeah, there's not really any tax advantage things to take advantage of here in Spain. Okay, so you put everything in Spain then, uh, in your investments? Yeah, pretty much, mm. yeah. Not really investing outside of... Um, I mean, I suppose if you count De Hero as an international broker or trading two on two as an international broker, then that could be considered international investments. But I haven't, you know, I haven't got property outside of the out of sight of Spain. I haven't got access to a tax advantage account in another country. I had one in France, actually, but it's in the process of being moved over um, to Spain. That's the thing. And eh? when you move, those tax advantage accounts, they're nice when you're there. But then I had the same. Uh, when you, yeah. For the people who are listening and who may think of moving, let's say people in Luxembourg and they think it's common, it's a country where people move a lot. So if you're going to move to another country, yeah, just be careful with those. Uh, I mean, be careful. Just pay attention that you know that you might need to close those accounts because they're usually for residents only. Yeah, you have to read the small print. And because I didn't read the small print, I've been caught up in this this story, which is going on for a year now. Probably I'll share it at some point on my channel. But And it's France, so... Enough uh... <laughs> <laughs> <That> said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. With, with administration, it's not always easy. Where do you actually get your sources yourself then uh, for information for, uh, I mean, who are the bloggers or uh, maybe other sources that you follow to, to get inspiration or to get tips as well yourself from money? Yeah, sure. So I follow a lot of 
Probably a lot of the first bits of news I get actually comes through the likes of my Instagram feed, mm -hmm. just because I follow a lot of finance content creators on there. And then if a particular story interests me or I want to go and research it some more, then maybe I'll go watch particular creators on YouTube or I'll go read an article on Bloomberg, Yahoo, the Financial Times, if it's a free article. Um, and then when it comes to stock and investing analysis, I tend to look at the likes of Yahoo Finance mainly for, for dividend history, stock charts, uh, Morningstar for historical income statements, balance sheets, uh, cash flow statements. Mm -hmm. And then recently there's this app that's come out called Genuine Impact that I've used a bit where it's trying to make all this information accessible to investors through like a three ring system. Okay. And yeah, so they base it on value, momentum, and there's another metric. There's three metrics essentially, and um, based on how full the rings are, that's how they they rate companies. It's a it's a nice new innovative concept actually. Okay, might need just to check it out just for fun, just to, yeah, to, to discover it. Yeah, yeah. Because yourself, you are a, a financial professional in your day job, correct? Yeah, that's right. I'm not an investing or banking professional yeah. as such. I'm more of a, uh, a similar job title. Well, similar titles to what I do would be financial analyst um, or I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm involved in business partnering. So preparation of budgeting, forecasting a little bit and then kind of mm. monthly performance and analysis. So Johnny, yes, actually. So yeah, that helps you a lot with the, with the number crunching. I mean, this background and this professional skills. Yeah, definitely. I mean, looking at a PNL, um, it's something that I do pretty much on a daily basis, working yeah. with Excel and, you know, all that number analysis. It definitely helps when you come from a, a financial background. And I think it opens you up to, to more opportunities because you can, you have that knowledge to be able to assess stocks, um, and analyze them more, more thoroughly, um, and much deeper than the average investor, if you know what I mean. Yes. And I like to go through it myself as well now and then. Not only because I'm a money nerd uh, and a numbers nerd, but mo mostly because it gives you more uh, incentives. I'm sorry, not incentives. It gives you more perspective and it gives you more understanding of the business. Where does the money come from? And then this is crucial as well when you uh, try to do stock picking. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I really like, um, well, it's something, it's part of why I picked my career. And it's mm -hmm. also why I like stock analysis as well is linking the numbers back to the business reasons behind it. So why is the company doing so well? Why is it underperforming? Why has I don't know, the stock price gone up? Why is its debt increased? Those kinds of things. I find it, yeah, like you, I find it really interesting. A, a bit of a money nerd myself as well. <laughs> and uh, do you, I mean, you're obviously in, interested in the financial independence, but is it the same with your colleagues? I mean, they're the, doing the same profession as you or some other colleagues on, from other departments. Do you feel that there's um, they are good at their job probably, but that outside of that, with their personal finance, they struggle? Oh, I wouldn't like to. I wouldn't like to try and <laughs> say that for my colleagues. But what I can say is that um, round about the start of the the lockdown last year, and when we we all had to stay at home, um, a few colleagues from the office that I had spoken to, we all formed a small WhatsApp group. And we talk investing in personal finance. Okay, um, cool. And that's that's that was really good actually. And we we still got it going today. And it's been really 
it's been really good to see them go from, oh, how do I get started investing? And then now in the group, we're seeing, oh, I like this company. What do you guys think about it? It's P ratio. Or do you think <laughs> it's got good perspective? <laughs> the transformation, it's amazing. And um, it's really good to have friends like that, that you could talk about investing in and finance with. Yes. And you grow together, it seems. So that's, uh, that's, that's good yeah. to hear. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And then uh, financial independence, you, um, okay, we are both in Europe. Uh, there's uh, some vehicles that we can use, some uh, opportunities, some tax things that we need to take care of. So it's not exactly the same way as in the US. Can you share your thoughts on how it is different than uh, our friends in the US? Sure. So I think in Europe, either the same advantages either don't exist or they exist, but they're a lot more restrictive. So if we take the example, so I don't know the US, well, I know them of them, but maybe I don't understand them as well as, as others do. But I'll take the UK example. So the £20,000 ISA contribution per year. So any uh, taxes and dividends that you, um, sorry, any dividends and capital gains that you make on your ISA contributions um, are tax-free. Mm-hmm. And you can withdraw them whenever you want. You got a £20,000 limit per year. That's great. Let's look at the PIA in France, which is what comes to mind when I think tax advantage products in Europe. So a PIA, you can contribute 250, no, 150,000 euros, but over your lifetime into that PIA. So if you think someone in the UK in 10 years, uh, if they use all their ISA allowance, um, they've already gone way over what you could um, yes. contribute to a PIA. Um, over your lifetime living in France. Additionally, you can't withdraw from that PIA for at least five years if you want to start reaping the tax advantages. And you've also got to invest in European domiciled countries, uh, country companies. Mm-hmm. So you, there'll be no investing in the likes of a, a Tesla, an Amazon, a Google in, inside a PIA. It would all be pr- mainly stocks on the euro next is, is my guideline. Um, when I think PR companies. So you see they're a lot more restrictive. And then here in Spain, I think the tax advantage stuff you get here, it's, it's all to do with like retirement accounts, like pension, like individual pension plans or company pension plans. And you can contribute up to a certain amount per year. And that will be, that will be tax free. But again, that's money you're not going to touch until you're 50, 60 years old, maybe even older by the time we reach retirement age. Who knows what it's going to be mm-hmm. when, yeah. we, when we get there. So I think that's one of the principles. Yeah, I'd say the main two differences that I've spotted are the, yeah, the lack of tax advantages that exist in, in Europe um, compared to the likes of the US, the UK, and the restrictiveness of the ones that, that do exist. And it could be part of the reason why investing and uh, financial independence isn't bigger within Europe. It could be part of that reason. <laughs> yeah, because on the other hand, it's true huh, what you say. And because our American friends, it's like, yeah, I put all my money in the Vanguard uh, ETF uh, through my uh, retirement plan. And everybody, I mean, not everybody, but it's a common recipe that we hear. And uh, <clears throat> that's, all, that's all good. But what about us? I mean, maybe there's other ways to achieve this same kind of independence or... Uh, through real estate investing or something, or is it, are we restricted? I mean, <laughs> we cannot replicate what we, what we see from uh, outside. Exactly. And this brings us to another point, which you touched on um, a bit earlier, is a lot of the content creators 
let's say in France or Spain or the Netherlands, for example, they're making content in their own language. And as a result, it's of course more specific to their country. Mm. So for someone like myself, maybe someone like Sandy, we're making Europe-wide content in English. We either have to subtitle our content. Yeah, either we have to accept that our content isn't going to have the same reach because people who are interested are going to be searching probably in their mother tongue first. Or we have to take an additional step and maybe start subtitling our videos, add in, yeah, translated titles, or even making content in other languages. It's something I hope to do one day, by the way. But, you know, it's additional work that you've got to do, a lot of additional preparation. Props to Sandy, because, you know, she's she's making content in English. She's really great. And she's doing it in a language which is not her native tongue. I know I could make content in Spanish or French. But, you know, it's it's an additional effort and it's not going to come out as fluently as a conversation like this is happening in English, you know? Yeah, sure, sure. So so what would you say to somebody who's a, who's a new watcher of your channel or who's a listener to, to this podcast? What would you say, regardless of where they live, let's say in the UK or in Spain, what would you say, okay, where should you start with uh, managing your money, especially if you're a millennial? So I have videos on my channel where I say, You know, these are things you need to think about before investing. So I always give people a few things to think about. So mm -hmm. like, what are their goals? Um, what is their time horizon for investing? Are they going to be a long-term investor? Are they going to be able to ride out the, the ups and downs of the market? Um, how are they thinking about diversifying? Are they going to buy individual stocks? Are they going to go all out in ETFs? Once you start to answer these, these basic questions to get started, then... The thing is, so as you start to answer these first questions, more questions start to come. And that's when you get directed on your journey of content. So me, for example, I started with um, how to invest and I came across this is how to invest. And then I was like, oh, dividends, started looking into dividends. And then one thing led to another. And once you once you find one video or one good um one good person who can help you get started on your journey, the rest of the journey kind of flows naturally because you naturally have questions as an investor and it's just finding the starting point. So I, I've got a video on my channel where I talk about some of those starting points, um, some of those first questions you've got to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and um, one thing that I, I'm just thinking of, it's uh, we are in Europe, but we have two big advantages that I think our American friends do not have. That means credit card debt and student loan debt. So which is, for example, two topics I usually don't talk about on the podcast or on the blog because I, I don't relate to that, but fine. But on the other hand, for us in Europe, it's a big advantage because, for example, I don't know about yourself, uh, Johnny, but when I started my career, I had a blanco sheet. So I had some small savings from before, from my childhood, but at least... I started with zero debt and okay, credit card, it's not something that is really part of my culture. I mean, Belgians, usually we, we save money. We are famous for saving money and buying real estate, not necessarily stock markets, but in my culture, we don't usually go far in credit card. And then the student, student loan that, that doesn't exist almost because the, the yearly fee for university, I think it was about six, 700 euros back then. So it's, It will not uh, kill your budget and you're, you're starting with a clean sheet. Uh, so how was it for you, for example? 
First of all, trust me, if I'd known that I could have studied in Belgium or the Netherlands for a couple of hundred euros a year, <laughs> I definitely would have done that when I was younger. Um, but yes, very true what you say. And I think this comes down to the financial culture differences in Europe compared to the US. I hate the words capitalism and socialism, you know, but if you have to categorize the two, you know, Europe is a lot more family oriented culture and the economic model in Europe somewhat resembles that of it's closer to the welfare state, whereas the US think very hard to dispute that it's it's a very capitalist um, economy, a very capitalist financial culture. So you get the likes of credit cards and student loans being pushed and all those student loans, they're coming from commercial banks. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of people who want to study more, they got to go and take out big, big student loans. You see them on the Dave Ramsey show with hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of, of student debt. Yeah, already starting their career. Like you say, on the back foot, they got to recover a lot of debt if they've maybe got consumer debt as well. And like you say, credit cards. I think in Europe, like you say, yeah, um, we're very lucky. We're not, we don't have that situation as much. The interesting point I'd say is the UK, where it's somewhere in the middle. Okay. So, there are a lot more, their credit card debt in the UK is a bit more common. It's not to the U US extent, I would say, but there is, credit cards are quite common and, you know, people have credit card debt and people take out student loans in the UK as well. But the way it works is, is very, very different from in the US. You, so you only pay back based on what you, what you earn. It's like money you've never seen. If you work in the UK, it's just taken off your payslip. It's, it, it works more like a graduate tax than a, a debt that mm -hmm. you have to your name, so to speak. Because I, I tried myself to look for information briefly on uh, um, credit card debt. And okay, of course, there is credit card debt in Europe, but it was hard to find hard numbers. And I didn't see all the stories like, oh, yeah, how uh, Pete got um, out of uh, 20,000 euros of debt or something like this. This I, yeah. I didn't see in the press while in the overseas, it's a bit more common. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like I say, look at the Dave Ramsey show, you got hundreds of students appearing on there with with loads of consumer or student debt. And they're all asking for advice. Oh, how do I how do I get out of debt? And the amounts, I mean, in the UK, yeah, the amounts are many, many times lower than you see in the US. And like I say, I think that comes down to culture. Um, as the UK finds itself somewhere in the middle between the UK, uh, between the US and, and Europe. And in Europe, you know, the family-oriented culture, I don't think credit cards are pushed as much. So people don't really take them out. Um, I think the main debts in Europe are probably, probably mortgages, Because, you know, it's the goal of home ownership is pushed mm -hmm. like it is in the US and the UK. Again, maybe not to the same extent, but within that family culture, you know, being able to own a home, though people get there maybe later in life than, than in the UK, the US. It's, it's a goal um, that people have. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to a bit go outside of this topic, but you are a millennial. Uh, how old are you, uh, Johnny? I'm 26. 26. So... Do you feel there are some uh, particular issues for uh, people your generation, especially in this uh, era we are living in, where uh, people get maybe advice on TikTok? I mean, uh, there's um, there's <laughs> many no, but uh, there's many videos on TikTok on money. There's um, you can go on Instagram, you can uh, go on YouTube, of course. But there's a lot of many inexperienced people. I mean, you're you're a professional, 
you know what you're talking about. I've watched your videos. It sound it all makes sense to me. But I mean, there's a lot of people you don't know who you can rely to, and then there's also this uh, culture of apps for investing, like Trading Two One Two or Bug Zero, etc. So how, how do you find? How can uh, a millennial find his way through all this uh, massive information? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a good question you ask. So something I just thought of. So maybe. Let's wind back maybe five, ten years ago when there mm -hmm. was the start of Bitcoin and you know forex trading and trading stocks was maybe a bit more popular. A lot of the inexperienced people, it would be all about making a quick buck, and the influencers who are talking about, oh yeah, I made ten thousand euros in a month starting with two hundred euros on forex trading. Mm -hmm. um, so that was the thing back then. I think now millennials are actually very well, millennials and Gen Z are very technologically competent. But as a result, anyone who talks about money, who talks about investing, by, I don't want to call it guilty, let's call it guilty by association, because we've got that stigma from the past of the scammers who yeah. are still out there today, but are easier to recognize. But like you say, because people just associate off a lot of finance and investing content with, with scams, then maybe people are very hesitant to get into it. So what is the solution? I think it's it's all about transparency. Um, I myself, I try to promote, I try to show some of my investments. Uh, I'm very honest and open about it. If I've lost money, I'm not afraid to show that I've lost money. And I think you got to understand why people are saying why people are saying what they're saying. Someone who's trying to sell you a, a trading course or a forex course or asking you to deposit money on their platform you got like alarm bells need to start going off. Like, why does this mm -hmm. person want my money? Someone who's trying to promote long-term investing and says, look, yeah, you might lose money, but long-term, if you stay at it long-term and you invest a little by little, then yeah, it's a, it's a much, it's a much better, has a much better ring to it than someone who's trying to make you get rich quick. If you but it's not as exciting as GameStop. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's the thing. A lot of like investing can be very exciting. It can mm -hmm. be scary, but funny, it shouldn't be exciting. Investing should be good boring. investing <laughs> should be boring. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you buy, you, you leave a stock, it goes like this, just, you know, slowly maybe trends upwards, pays you a dividend once in a while. That's the thing as well. I think because investing, people find it difficult to differentiate trading and investing. Correct. And people think investing is as simple as let me buy Tesla stock and in three years I'll be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's not like that, you know. Like people have been investing. Like someone like Warren Buffett is one of my role models. You know, mm -hmm. he just buys Coca Cola and the dividends that he gets from Coca Cola. That's passive income. That's That's slow, long-term investing. And Buffett's been doing that for, what, 50, 60 years, even more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the wealthiest men in the world today. So it's all about time time in the market compared to timing the market or looking for the hottest stock. It's boring, but the results are much more tangible and much more satisfying than, yeah, making a quick buck or losing it all. Absolutely. I uh, totally agree with you. I don't know if uh, when I was 26, I was thinking like that, but okay, good. There's people like you. <laughs> and then <laughs> so the millennials can relate to. And then uh, one other thing. Um, okay. You talk about investing and that's important, of course. 
but what are some other struggles with millennials? Because sometimes, I mean, based on what I read or what I see, it's, uh, yeah, millennials cannot buy a house. Millennials spend too much uh, money on, uh, I don't know, useless stuff and uh, on the coffees or avocado toast or what is it? Do, do you relate <laughs> to that or uh, is it just some uh, headlines, fancy headlines or I don't know? Some of it is maybe self-inflicted. Like I would look on Instagram stories on my personal Instagram and I'd see people going out for dinner every day. And I'd be thinking like, man, how much this must be costing you? Like you could just make food at home, mm -hmm. for example. And, you know, traveling is now low cost as well, particularly we live in Europe. Yeah, You know, travel is super easy and it's really cheap compared to what it was in the past. But, you know, traveling adds up. I'm guilty of it myself. You know, I've traveled a lot. <laughs> um, that's money that I could have invested. But um, as well, you know, job opportunities, it's a lot more competitive to get into the job market now. Mm -hmm. You know, we're being asked for more and more experience, higher qualifications. You know, in the past, going to university in itself was enough. Now, you know, they want people who've been to university. Maybe Speak seven languages, be a programmer. Seven languages, <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> Done Erasmus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're being asked for more and you typically get less in return. That's that's my observations. Mm -hmm. And it, it's really sad to, to see. So, you know, some of it is in our habits. You know, maybe the, the yeah, the I want everything now culture, wanting to go out to eat or like, yeah, wanting to live our best lives is <laughs> a, a common phrase. But there is a real struggle um, as well to to get into the to get into the job market to get the right opportunities uh, yeah and, and progress in in the career particularly you know people living in cities like london cities like paris um that are really expensive yeah the salaries these days um don't really compensate for the cost of living there some of them yeah no and uh, i lived in paris one year it was fantastic but i was not a student so i was uh, <laughs> sent by my company so um It was yeah. great. I was living the life. Huh? I can tell it, but it's, um, then I'm, I was wondering myself, but how do the actual people, I mean, the, the youngsters, they, they live in small apartments. Okay. They can go out and it, because it's fun, it's full of stuff, full of activities, but yeah, it, it might be a struggle to save that then money. I mean, it's, uh, it's not easy. Oh yeah, for sure. When I was on internship in Paris. Yeah, my internship <laughs> paid me less than a thousand euros a month. Oof. And <laughs> I was I was going through my savings. I was I was getting dangerously close to the end. Um so I, I, that's where I first learned to be very frugal. Um but yeah, like you say, it's very difficult for students out here who don't have financial backing from their parents or who don't have savings or who don't have a job to get by. And then think if you've got a job Um, whilst you're studying, you know, that's a very intense schedule that you're going through. Yeah. So it's definitely a lot hard. Yeah, it's very hard for millennials to, to get by in a lot of circumstances today, whether whether in, yeah, higher education or even, you know, maybe just starting out to work. Mm -hmm. And then maybe one last question I want to ask you, since you're a millennial, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is um, you seem to have managed the, the long-term investing approach instead of instant gratification. So how come you can you manage that? I mean, how come a young a young gentleman manages to delay gratification at least in investing? Where does that come from? I mean, how do you build that because even myself, I mean, uh, at your age I think I want everything right away, you know, like uh, 
whether it's buying stuff, whether it's investing. I mean, I was not even investing then, but you know, it's something that I have built up over time. This uh, delay of gratification. Yeah, the last guy who was on your podcast, or a guy who was recently on your podcast, and talked about his twelve investing rules. So oh, something very well. sim- yeah. yeah, so something very similar to that. Um, so when I finished. I knew that I wanted to start investing once I got my first paycheck. So I still had access to my university library mm-hmm. and I got a book out and it was called Dividends Still Don't Lie. <laughs> so that was my reference. That was my <laughs> basis for learning to invest. But yeah, what the guy talks about in the book is a very, it's a very conservative strategy. Like Canwell says, you know, you got very strict criteria for picking your companies. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't meet one of those criteria, you know, discard it. So that was my basis for starting and it's something that i said okay you know regardless of whatever hype is out there um i'm gonna stick to these rules mm-hmm. and i've been investing for about two years now saw my portfolio take a 30 percent hit <laughs> during the, the lockdown mm-hmm. hurt my heart a lot <laughs> but i held on <laughs> um but i held on and you know it's back in the green still giving me dividends and a lot of the the companies that I picked based on their dividend history, very few of them actually cut their their dividends through, through the through the pandemic as a result. And the ones that did, we know, were financial institutions that by the European Commission were obligated to do so. Otherwise, I don't think they would have done it. Yeah. Um, so I think you got to so some, either have some rules, some criteria that you got to adhere to, but you got to be very convicted, and you got to have your long term plan uh, laid out as you go. Mm-hmm. And I admit, I've—I don't want to say jumped on the bandwagon, but I, I speculate a little bit today on stocks like Tesla, and I've got a DocuSign in one of my speculative investing pies. But these take up a very small percentage of my investments. My core portfolio is similar to that of what Kenwell said. So, boring stuff, but uh, that will grow over time. <laughs> yeah, boring stuff yeah. that will grow and will generate income over time, and then. Yeah, the likes of Tesla, um, you know, it's potential opportunity to grow long term, um, but it could also fail. So I decided, you know, it would be good to get in on that. And if I put in, you know, a few euros and it does great, then fantastic. If I lose it, then, you know, it's a small loss compared to the income generated from the core portfolio. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, I like to explore a bit as well, but of course, it's good to have this um kind of safety net or something. I mean, at least to have the the main part of your portfolio as kind of safe investing or at least well-researched and stable companies. Yeah. Exactly. And again, going back to something your your previous guest said that you work hard for your money and you want your money to then work for you. You don't want it to disappear on a company that just went bust or because you speculated at the wrong price on something, you know, you want to pick something that's good and that's an income generator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually, yeah, you, you started right away with the right sources to delay that gratification. So that's very good. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. You know, my starting point wasn't a YouTube video, not, not to criticize them at all, but you know, it's not uh, creative. I mean, you're one yourself. (laughs) I mean, yeah, <laughs> but I talk about boring stuff, you know? Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not to, not to criticize people who make videos saying that Tesla's going to go up or, you know, um, a particular stock has huge potential, but there, you know, there's an element of hype that's wanting to get people to watch your video. So it's easy to get carried away in that. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, for me, before I got into the social media game and followed content creators for investing, I, I read something outside of the hype, outside of the social media space, you know, which really helped me to get my foundations, get my investing convictions before I, I started uh, taking in opinions from, from others who are on social media. Very good. So yeah, I like that approach. And uh, look, Johnny, I think we came to the end of the show. And I really want to thank you for sharing your thoughts. I mean, we covered quite a wide area of topics in the end, uh, but it's great because we went uh, talking about uh, in financial independence, your situation, you have moved several countries or struggles in Europe, but as well, or advantages in Europe. And then as well, the uh, how to deal with all this information that uh, gets thrown at us through social media and YouTubes or a podcast even. So uh, yeah, thanks for sharing your thoughts. It, it was, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. It's really good. And uh, Johnny, before I let you go, as you know, we always have our three quick fire questions. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, fantastic. So the number one question, um, we've, we talked about it extensively, but what has been your best investment so far? I think it's my double master's program, which enabled mm -hmm. me to do Erasmus and then work abroad. Without that... I wouldn't be in Spain today. I wouldn't have lived in France. I wouldn't have all the experience that's behind me. So definitely um, being able to go on Erasmus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. Excellent. And um, do you have a, we, you talked about books, but is there one in particular that you would like to recommend to, uh, to the listeners? So I'll say dividends still don't lie, but in general, I find it difficult to pick out particular books is my favorite. So I, def I definitely say though, either one of the investing books in my house or one of the language learning books in my house. Okay. And who wrote this uh, Dividends Don't Lie? It was Kelly Wright is his name. Very well. I'll uh, look it up myself and I'll uh, link it in the show notes uh, so people can find it. And then do you have a um, third question? Do you have a, a purchase below a hundred euros or a hundred pounds? that has helped you uh, recently that you can recommend as well? Protective case for my iPhone and for my laptop, <laughs> because I don't know how many times they would have broken if I didn't pay a bit more money to protect them. <laughs> no, no, very good. I, I, um, I do the same. I have bought recently one for my camera that I bought. So it's, uh, yeah, this, this kind of stuff, it's not expensive. It's a bit annoying, but you're so glad when you see your phone falling or, If it drops, anything can happen. So yeah, very good purchase. <laughs> yeah, and you take the back off one day and it's still nice and shiny like it was when you got out the box. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so Johnny, um, we talked about your YouTube. So that's Millennials with Money. Where are you on uh, social media? Yes, yeah, so I'm on social media on Instagram at Millennials with Money with an underscore at the end. I'm also on TikTok at Millennials with Money. This is always one word. I've got the YouTube channel. I'm on Twitter at millennials underscore WM. I have a Facebook page as well. If you search millennials with money, that will come up. And that's my social media platforms. And then I've got my website, which is millennials-with-money.com. Okay, fantastic. I will link it all up. And then uh, Johnny, I want to thank you again. It was a pleasant conversation. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you very much, Johnny. It was a pleasure being on the show as well. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that you learned something from it. And if you found it useful, please make sure you share it with a friend. Or you can also rate the show in your favorite podcast app. This will help the show to grow. So if you do so, thank you very much. And now before I let you go, 
Let's go through the key takeaways. Number one, on the FIRE movement in Europe. So FIRE stands for Financial Independent Retire Early. The universal principles will apply here as well, but there is less visibility than in the US due to the market fragmentation. And by that, I mean that every country is different and so are the tax systems and the tax advantage solutions for each country. And this can also be observed in the personal finance blogger influencer scene, which is also a fragmented market with all the different languages. Number two, what are the steps that Johnny is taking towards FI, financial independence? He's investing in stocks and other investment vehicles. He follows a strict budget and contributes to his future every month as per his time-based goals. And number three, I really liked his approach to learn and grow together with his colleagues through a WhatsApp group. So maybe that's something you can do as well with your friends or maybe some family members. It doesn't matter whoever you feel comfortable to talk and learn about money with. I think it's a great way to, to grow together. Number four, here are some uh, money management tips as well. So yeah, you can start your journey by asking yourself questions. This will help you define your goals and your time horizon for investing. By starting with these questions, this will spiral into kicking off your financial journey. Money education should be all about transparency and be wary online when you see a get-rich-quick promises and ask yourself if these people actually show their losses and wins or if they only show wins and promises. So yeah, just be careful. It's a jungle out there, so uh, that's why we are trying to help you with Johnny. <laughs> and keep in mind, huh, investing is a long-term process that should be boring, actually. And on that note, one main rule is time in the market will deliver much better results than trying to time the market. I repeat, time in the market will beat timing the market. Next one, fun investing is allowed, of course. I mean, you can do whatever you want with your money. Just be careful and uh, make sure that it's a small portion of your overall portfolio so that if you have volatile stocks or risky stocks, that you can have fun with it, but you should not lose your sleep over it if, for example, the stock goes down 50% or if they lose a significant portion of their value. And in general, and that was an excellent tip from Johnny, read books and articles outside of the hype first so you get your foundation right. You will think more clearly and navigate through the jungle of information much better equipped. And last key takeaway for today, how does one delay gratification when it comes to investing? Follow strict rules, follow strict criteria, a bit similar to uh, Kenwell Sarai's investing approach that we had on the show a couple of weeks ago. You know, he had his 12 rules for investing and he doesn't uh, deviate from it. If uh, one criteria is not met when choosing a stock, he dismisses it. I think this is a great approach and uh, it's great that uh, Johnny had it when he started his journey because then you have a sort of guideline and it gives some kind of backbone, some structure to his investing approach. And of course, in addition to those strict rules and criteria, you should make your money and investment decisions based on your long-term goals. So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.